This week on Myths and Legends, there's a story from Chinese folklore. Well, we'll learn that you should just forget dating apps because bleeding on strangers is the new way to meet the love of your life. There's also the world's first selfie, a chicken feather dressed for the ages, and lots of people getting other people to do their dirty work. Then, on the Creature of the Week, we'll see that, to spring back from a bad breakup, you need to go stand in a river for three weeks. This is Myths and Legends, episode 255. Picture me this. This is a podcast where we tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are tales that you might not have heard, but really should. Today's episode is a tale about a mason who wins a prize. It's from the Chinese story, The Mason That Wins the Prize. It's actually kind of like two stories in one, and it starts at a magistrate's home. Great. Just great. The roof had begun leaking. Again. And despite the magistrate not being one for DIY home improvement projects, he clambered onto the roof to have a look at the tiles above. Sure enough, several were broken. Well, at least he had the mason on speed dial. Only, his usual go-to guy was booked for like the next five months. So, he'd gone with someone else in a pinch. The new mason, who we'll just call the mason, was a young man. Highly reviewed, he was sure to assure the magistrate, and he arrived with tools in hand. He set to work right away, ascending the ladder with ease. When the magistrate was sure the mason was off to a good start, he went inside to work from home. Now, roof work being generally noisy, the magistrate's daughter decided to go outside and watch the mason work. Her maid brought out a stool and an umbrella. She called some friends, and together the ladies made an afternoon of it. It was the Middle Ages, not a whole lot else going on. The attention made the mason work faster and smoother than usual, and more than once the young man stole a glance at the magistrate's daughter. Her bright eyes, her hair, her... Wow! He was in love! Plain and simple. Love at first sight because that's obviously the best and only way to find a soulmate. No talking to the person, no learning anything about them, one look, love forever. The problem was that the mason was on the roof, and the lovely lady was on the ground. In short order, the magistrate's roof would be mended, the mason's work complete, and his chance to confess his deep love for the girl he'd never spoken to before, gone. Why? Why was he so competent and good at his job? Then, he looked at the pile of broken tiles he was going to heft down the ladder safely and not just toss into the garden when he was done. He had an idea. An idea HR with all their mandatory workplace safety plays would hate. Oh no, he shouted from the rooftop. I've cut my finger on a loose tile and it's definitely not just a flesh wound. The mason dared to crack open one of his eyes and peek over the edge of the roof. Oh, oh. She was still sitting there, chatting it up with her friends. Hmm. Maybe she hadn't heard him all the way down there. What to do, what to do. On the ground, the magistrate's daughter, who, like everyone else in the story, didn't have a name, spoke softly to her maid. She didn't see the mason on the roof, flicking his bleeding hand vigorously into the blue. Suddenly, the magistrate's daughter felt a drop from the sky. It wasn't rain, though. It was blood. All eyes looked upward to the roof. 
to Mason's bloody finger. The magistrate's daughter demanded some needle, thread, and cloth. She was going to help this young man. Expertly, the Mason shimmied down the ladder one-handed and knelt beside the very recent and immediate love of his life. She stitched and blotted and wrapped the Mason's injury, and while she worked, he dreamed of their future life together. How could the magistrate's daughter not love him after a stunt like this? Keep it clean and check the wound once a day, the daughter instructed, waving goodbye to the Mason. He smiled the entire way home. By the time he reached the house, however, he wasn't feeling so good. No, it wasn't his finger, it was his heart. Or maybe his back or his arms, it was hard to say. I just need to lie down, he told his worried mom. For several days, the Mason stayed curled up in bed, each day growing worse and worse. I'm really worried about you, his mother said after several days. Can't you just tell me what's wrong? The Mason could, of course but you have to promise to do what I'm about to ask you. Then I'll tell you what's wrong, he said. She said, no, that's ridiculous. Tell me what's wrong first, and then we can deal with it. I can't, Mom, I can't. You have to promise me first, or else, or else I might die. With hands in the air, the mother surrendered and promised to fulfill whatever mysterious ask the boy was about to say. That's it? That's the thing? Come on. Yes, the Mason had fallen in love with the magistrate's daughter. No, Mom, you missed a detail. Fine, you fell in love with her at first sight, and you want to marry her so badly you're dying. Did I hear you right? The boy nodded, clutching a blanket to his chest. People do die of broken hearts, Mom. It's not just a thing in fairy tales and disappointing prequel trilogies. It's apparently such a real thing that if I had a podcast and made fun of the idea a few times, I'd be getting emails about it for years. The mom said she didn't understand many of those words. What's a podcast? The Mason sat up in bed, and there was more. He'd come up with a plan to make it happen. And, well, it involved his mother. Bring out your dad. Uh, oh, okay, that's another thing. Open the door, the mother called, waving a wooden clapper loudly. The noise ricocheted off the front of the house, and more than one second floor window slammed shut, but no one opened the door. And so the woman carried on. In fact, for days upon days, she went to the magistrate's house and put on her show, which was just making noise with a noisemaker and yelling for someone to open the door. As the mason hoped, someone eventually took the bait, just to quiet the annoying clapper. The mother quickly explained that she had to speak with the magistrate directly about an important matter. The attendant at the door stopped her right there, explaining that appointments were necessary and that there was no way that the woman was scoring a face-to-face -face meeting ever and clap, 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 clap. Fine, fine. Oh my gosh, just put the clapper away. All right, get in here, come on. After what seemed like an hour, the magistrate entered the room in a show of flowing robes. The Mason's mother wasted no time and shared all about her son. You know, the one who was injured on the magistrate's roof, but didn't file a lawsuit? Anyway, that Mason was her son, and he'd fallen in love with the magistrate's lovely daughter. 
Please, for the love of all things everywhere, will your daughter marry my son? He loves her so much he's sick, but temporarily sick. He comes from very good genes. He just says that he's dying of a broken heart. That's a real thing, you know, the magistrate interrupted. The mother held up her palms. She knew. She knew. The magistrate exhaled, sat down, and rested his chin on his fist. Well, this was certainly an interesting turn of events. The magistrate's daughter had mentioned something about lacing up a cute mason's finger the other day without any prior medical training. Then he turned to the frazzled mother with a grin. Here's what we'll do. I'm fine with it, as long as both parties agree, and also on three conditions. Well, four. First, the mother had to destroy that annoying clapper thing. In one swift motion, the mother pulled the clapper from her pocket and chucked it into the fire. Done. The magistrate waited until it was fully consumed by fire. They had been annoyed by that thing for days, and he had to be sure it wouldn't exist anymore. Maybe he was thinking that the next time he'd just have the woman arrested for standing outside his house for days on end making noise with a clapper instead of taking a meeting. Oh well, live and learn. What's next? The mother asked. Well, there were three items the magistrate sought from the boy. A pearl from the mouth of a dragon, the shell of a turtle spirit, and a golden-haired lion. The mother thought about it. She had done her part. Now it was her son's chance to do the impossible. Also, weren't all lions golden-haired? The magistrate shook his head. Nah, there was actually a subspecies of lion that has dark manes. Oh, like Scar from 1994's Lion King, the mother acknowledged. The magistrate nodded. Yeah, how awesome was Jeremy Irons in that role? The mom agreed. Yeah, they had a great cast. What's JTT up to nowadays? The magistrate said, wait, no, 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 I'm focused up. Sending kids on deadly quests. Well, do we have a deal? It was a much longer walk back home that day. And when the mother crossed the threshold, her shoulders slumped. Of course, the mason didn't notice because he was still in bed. Hey, Ma, did you get the magistrate? Ma, the magistrate, did you get him? She was in the next room and he was too lazy to get up, so he didn't know what she was doing in there. She appeared at the doorway, eyes downcast. Hmm, that didn't look good. She'd spoken to the magistrate, all right, but the outlook was dismal at best. Three conditions were required. And they would be, I mean, pretty much impossible to secure. A pearl from the mouth of a dragon? Who even knew where dragons lived these days? The shell of a turtle spirit? That was just confusing. Then, of course, there was a golden-haired lion. You know, don't even get her started because today had been long enough. I tried my best, kid, she said, and began walking away. Behind her, a scuffle of bedsheets and a loud thump made her stop. Her son had leapt from bed, Grandpa Joe style miraculously healed, and spouting something crazy about none of these things being a problem. In disbelief, the mother watched her son strutted out the front door to go pick up the necessary items for the magistrate. He didn't know exactly where the items were, but he had a general idea and set out west with confidence. He actually did need to come back because this wasn't the hobbit and he didn't have an acapella group worth of dwarves propping him up he actually needed to prepare for this unexpected journey. Though, after a few weeks worth of travel, he did, in fact, stumble across a dragon barring his path. 
it was the Middle Ages, it was probably more challenging to not run into a dragon. And at first, fear coursed through his veins. Dragons were a lot bigger in person than he imagined. But this one was real. And studying him. The dragon was about to eat him bodily, but then, but then noticed that he was traveling west. He sat in the road and rested his hands on his arms. Can I help you with something? The mason asked the dragon. You're going to the west, right? Can you ask the Buddha a question on my behalf? The dragon replied. The mason stopped the dragon. Wait, Buddha, west. Am I on a journey to the west? Oh my gosh, when do I get my monkey sidekick who becomes the breakout star? The dragon uh, shrugged. I don't know, that was kind of above his pay grade. Since the mason was on a journey to the west and would probably eventually meet the Buddha, isn't this like super dangerous, this journey? The mason interrupted. Yes, and you're talking to a literal dragon. Please stay focused, the dragon redirected. Anywho, it turned out that the dragon, like most monsters on the road to the west, had some beef with the Buddha and the heavens. See, the dragon had spent the last thousand years trying to, quote, morally perfect himself. And after all that time, he still wasn't allowed to enter heaven. I want to go to there, you know? Will you ask the Buddha why I'm not allowed in? Mason said, yeah, maybe it's because you're so whiny. And so it was that the Mason promised to speak with the Buddha on the dragon's behalf. And the dragon let the boy go. Within a day, the Mason crested another hill. And this time, found himself stopped short by a turtle spirit. It was the most bizarre looking thing so much so that the original story gives no description whatsoever. In back-to-back sentences, he's called a turtle and a tortoise, which I definitely know now are two separate things. And if you're not sure what this creature's all about, well, neither was the mason. Your journey stops here, the turtle spirit said. And no matter how fervently the boy begged, the turtle would not change his mind. That was until he learned that the mason was headed for the western heavens. The wheels began turning. Comments about burying the lead were made, and soon the mason was on his way with a second scribble in his notebook. And the turtle made the same deal as the dragon, that the mason would speak to the Buddha on his behalf. The mason thanked the turtle spirit and then just walked right through the creature, because he was a turtle spirit. And so it seemed that being a messenger was the mason's ticket out of trouble again, though he hadn't managed to acquire a pearl from the dragon or the turtle spirit's shell. On he went, and some two weeks later, the mason finally came to a temple, nestled at the top of a hill. He'd slept outside beneath the stars for quite some time by now, and the idea of resting beneath a real-life roof made him nearly jump for joy. When he entered the temple, however, there at the altar sat a lion. And yes, it was golden-haired. Except, like, a mane that glittered because it was gold hair, not just a shade of yellow. The mason nodded, that made a lot more sense. It was kind of obvious now why this creature deserved to be on the magistrate's list of precious items. Like always, the mason pulled out his notebook, ready to take down the creature's request for the Buddha of the Western Heavens. However, the creature didn't budge. It didn't block the mason's path or menace him in any way, shape, or form. Um, okay, the mason didn't really know how to deal with something not threatening his life. So the boy simply approached and asked if the beast would be so kind to attend his future wedding and reception. Maybe you could even sit at my father-in-law's table, he suggested. It would make his father-in-law's day, 
and also his marriage possible. Surprisingly, just like that, the golden-haired lion said, Oh my gosh, yes! As an apex predator, you know how many weddings he was invited to? Almost none. Yeah, he would be there, and right on time too. Not fashionably late either, because <laughs> with a mane like this, he was always fashionable. The boy said, okay. And then he, then he looked at the boy. That's, that's the scene. You, you can continue on. I'll, I'll be there. The boy said, oh, cool, cool. Wait, if this is the end of the scene, when are we going to transition to the music? We'll see the kid finally reach the Western heaven, but that will be right after this. And so, the young man set out again, hiking west. That week, he reached the Western heavens and the Buddha. The mason didn't have to wait at all and was instead whisked before the Buddha right away. The boy laughed. Wow, wasn't even that hard. Didn't know why it took Xuanzang like four volumes to get here. And with a notebook out, the boy approached the powerful being and opened the topic of the dragon and turtle spirit. Ah, yes, dragon and turtle spirit. That was simple. Dragon kept two pearls in his mouth and couldn't enter heaven because it wasn't fair. All the other dragons had only one pearl. The mason scribbled furiously in his notebook, but soon opted for a quick sketch instead. One dragon head, two pearls, got it, and the turtle spirit... Well, that was an easy one too. Quite simply, the turtle shell was... How should he put this? The young man said, say no more. It's nicer than all the turtle shells. He has to change his look. Maybe go like rugged grunge. Maybe like a tasteful oversized sweatshirt. The boy wrote stylist on a clean page and circled it twice. But that wasn't it. Look, the Buddha would be frank. The turtle shell was rough. Plain and simple. As in, it was too plain and simple. A little polish and a little self-care could go a long way. You know, smooth it out. Right. Okay. The dragon had too much. Turtle spirit had too little. Got it. The mason crossed out stylist and wrote new shell. On cue, the attendants floated silently in and motioned to the door. The appointment was over. The mason was ecstatic, elated. He would mosey on home, fix a few problems, and pick up the magistrate's wish list items. Next stop, marrying the love of his life. Wow, if only she knew she was the lucky lady. She probably knew by now, right? Maybe? That they were getting married? Whatever, this was awesome. Off he ran, retracing his steps. He stopped by the temple and reconfirmed the golden-haired lion's attendance at the upcoming wedding. That done, he went to the hill of the turtle spirit. He popped in with a replacement shell, not sure where someone gets a replacement shell for a medieval spirit turtle. But the mason managed. He had two-thirds of his shopping list complete. Last, he swung by the dragon's road. One pearl, not two. That's the issue. Do your best, they all said. Well, apparently not. Fine. Here, why don't, I don't know, you take this extra one. And with that, the mason tucked a pearl from the dragon's mouth into his pocket and grinned. So, did the dragon and spirit turtle make it to heaven in the end? The story doesn't say. Maybe they joined the red box knockoff version of Journey to the West, called Voyage to the Not East. Who knows? What did happen was that the mason returned home after weeks and weeks on the road. His mother couldn't believe he'd actually done the thing, but there it was, a turtle shell and a pearl from a dragon's mouth. Now, 
He just had to talk to the magistrate about the wedding. The magistrate looked at what the boy had done and believed him that the lion was showing up. The magistrate's daughter, let's say, agreed to the marriage, and the day was set. On the day of the wedding, all the guests sat in awe. The bride's dress, the extravagant food, the golden-haired lion sitting at the magistrate's table wearing a tuxedo t-shirt. It was incredible. And even the magistrate looked on in disbelief. The mason, his new son-in-law, had done it. Over time, the couple got to know one another and began a love that was solid and real and codependent. The mason, it seemed, could not bear being more than 15 minutes away from his wife. Forget just being in the same room, he had to be by her side, taking in everything about her. This was wedded bliss, wasn't it? It had been nice at first, but when things didn't level out, the young woman decided she had to say something. This was getting to be a bit much. Don't you have a job to get back to? Like, aren't you a mason, she asked. The mason was, of course, a mason by trade, but after going on his big adventure and getting married, he saw the world differently. He had priorities. I can't stand being away from you. You're just ah, so lovely. It was flattering, but the wife said that sometimes a person needs a little bit of space, you know? Here, how about I give you a picture of me to carry around in your wallet? So when you're away from work or wherever you are, you'll know that I am really not that far away. It was a perfect solution. And so the young woman jumped up from the couch to go find a recent photo. Hours later, she returned, carrying a giant-sized portrait. A painted selfie, because it's of myself. That's what I'm calling it. It's going to be a thing. She handed the drying painting to the mason and stood back to admire her work. A streak of paint highlighted her cheek. And the mason, just wow, he couldn't believe this. He spent several minutes looking between the woman and the painting before setting down the canvas. It was a perfect likeness that she had done on her own in a few hours. Now he could go about his work with her always conveniently by his side. Keys, phone, wallet, portrait. The mason nodded four times and waved goodbye. He was headed to a new client's house that day and was running ahead of schedule. Business had been good, and even though the young man had to leave his wife every morning, he spent all day beside her portrait until he went home for the night. It had taken him a couple of days to get used to hefting a large canvas around, but he'd soon figured out the perfect way to tuck it beneath his left arm. Today, however, was a particularly windy day, and before the mason had made it to his job site, a large gust swirled by and lifted the canvas high into the air like a kite. It soared on the wind, heading north, all the way to... Oh no. Oh yes. The portrait had floated and danced all the way to the emperor's palace. It went right up over the wall and into the courtyard like a magic carpet. There was nothing the mason could do but wait. Now, it wasn't every day that a painting flew into the courtyard, and the emperor had been lucky enough to see it all happen live. What were the chances? The emperor looked at the painting, asking what they had here, and then he paused, speechless. The face, the proportions, the brush strokes, the colors, it was an impeccable work of art. There was something about the perspective, too, and the way the subject's arms stretched toward the viewer, as though they were holding something out to you. Outside, 
The Mason heard all of it, including the part that followed, the part about the emperor declaring that he was going to marry the subject of the painting. The Mason said he couldn't do that, right? She was already married. To him, nah, he wouldn't do it. He's just a medieval ruler. They're known for their restraint and respect of people's rights. Still, he speed-walked on home. And he was too late. In the time it took him to book it home, the emperor's people had figured out who was in the portrait, made it to said person's home, and explained the situation to the unsuspecting lady. She was very lucky to be kidnapped by them today. It didn't matter that she was already happily married to someone else. One serious-looking official snapped his finger, and several equally serious men ushered the magistrate's daughter out of the house and onto the back of a horse. This was all happening way too fast. In the panic, the mason ran to his wife with arms outstretched. What could they do? Guards swarmed, holding him back from atop her horse, and the woman shouted instructions. In three days, the mason was to come find her at the palace, bring a six-foot-long onion and a dress made out of chicken feathers. It's weird, but I know what to do, and it'll all work out. You'll see. With that, the officials and the mason's precious wife were gone, swallowed by a cloud of dust blurred by tears. We'll see that a marriage based on kidnapping and coercion may not be a super happy one, but that will, again, be right after this. Everyone out. Chop, chop shouted the emperor. He'd given his lovely new bride ample time to settle into her new home and roll, and was ready to, you know, get to know her at last. He'd caught a glimpse of her beautiful face the day she arrived, and the painting, while a faithful capture, didn't do the real thing justice. But when he burst into her room, it wasn't the lovely, happy lady he'd hoped to see. That is, it was the woman from the painting but she wasn't smiling. She refused to. It had been the same for weeks now, stone-faced and resolute. Ugh. You'd think people would get over being kidnapped and forced into marriage, but no. Complain, complain, complain. He left, hoping the next day would be different, but knowing it would not. In the coming days and weeks, there was always something that stood in the emperor's way. The woman was ill, she claimed. That's why they couldn't be together. And while the emperor was monster enough to rip apart someone else's marriage and kidnap a person and force them into marriage, he wasn't monster enough to force himself on anyone, which he doesn't deserve bonus points for that. That's baseline human decency. Anyway, he waited. And waited. And waited. Eventually, he just lost interest altogether. And that's when the woman, in the privacy of her bedroom, and through the open window facing the front garden, cracked a smile. There was the oddest thing coming up the long path to the gate. Three days had turned into three years, but she'd never stopped waiting and watching for her Mason. His wife had asked him to come find her after three days, but the Mason wasn't known for his slipshod work. The dress, made out of chicken feathers, had been a huge time suck, but to be honest, 
it was the six-foot onion that proved the most difficult to find. Yes, even after the dragon's mouth pearl, turtle spirit shell, and golden-haired lion. who was still sleeping on his couch. Man, when was that guy going to go home? It had taken no small amount of questionable chemicals and fertilizers to grow the largest onion on earth. But in the end, there it was, chilling in the corner and stinking up the living room. Tomorrow, he would go to his love, his wife, not the emperor's prize, and free her once and for all, though he had no idea how. Eagerly, he had blown out the candles and fell asleep. Before the first rays of the sun made their appearance, he was up and dressed in the chicken feather dress, which was a total surprise to me, but apparently the mason had such a strong connection with his wife that he'd known exactly what he was supposed to do. It fit like a glove, although in hindsight, a slit in the back would have done wonders for movement, but it was too late now. With an oversized onion in his arms, he was basically in far-fetched D cosplay, the mason waddled out the door and all the way to the emperor's palace. But even before he knocked, a beautiful woman had exploded from the front door, laughing to the point of tears. She was on the ground rolling, but there was no denying who she was. It was his wife. You did it! You look amazing! They embraced, but only for a moment. Because there wasn't time. The emperor would hear of this well-dressed visitor shortly, and they had to move now. Inside, they flew back to the wife's chambers. As expected, the emperor was soon on the scene. He was angry at first, but the sight of his new wife laughing uncontrollably, happy at last, won him over. He remembered why he kidnapped her. He laughed along, then asked what they were laughing at. She stepped aside and revealed the chicken man. It was the mere sight of the visitor's crazy chicken feather dress and his six-foot-long onion that made her laugh enough to make up for the past three years of sullen misery. That's it? A costume and a prop, the emperor wondered aloud. Well, that was easy. Slapstick prop comedy had never really been his thing, but anything to get his compulsory bride to smile. Give me your outfit and that onion thing, he said to the visitor. He was the emperor, and the emperor got what he wanted. And if he wanted to make his new wife laugh, he was going to do it. And then they were going to, never mind. Soon, the emperor's own clothes were lying in a heap on the floor, and the emperor zipped into the chicken feather dress, waving a six-foot-long onion. He jumped and twirled, making quite a show that, yeah, actually made his new wife laugh. She laughed so hard she fell off the bed, stood, and walked to the door. With the wave of her hand, she ushered in a guard. <laughs> this guy in the feather dress... He's, he's too much. Literally. Kill him. Without hesitation, the guard stepped forth, and the man in the chicken feather dress lost his head. It happened so fast, neither man could say a word before it was over, and the emperor was dead. And on the floor next to his recently widowed wife was a pile of clothes. Clothes that fit the mason very nicely, it seemed. He quickly put them on. It was kind of embarrassing standing around the imperial palace in your underwear. Then, those who had run to see the commotion bowed. The mason laughed. Oh, no, come on, he wasn't. The empress nudged the emperor. Honey, come on, let's go to dinner. 
That night, over dinner, the reunited couple dined in ultimate luxury, at a long table, beneath a pair of matching portraits. Turns out, by the time the real emperor's inner circle realized that someone had taken their true master's place, they decided that eh, it was easier just to try to manipulate the new guy than to backstab each other into a position of power and convince the public that the emperor was an imposter. So they, too, bowed to the emperor. And the emperor and empress, together at last, couldn't stop smiling. And that's the story of the mason who won the prize. In the end, he became the emperor, and the royal portraits stayed side by side for decades to come. This month, our remember episode is about the shepherd who laughed last. It's a little story from Spanish folklore that we think you'll love. Speaking of memberships, if you'd like to support the show, there's still a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a handy horse finger puppet system, a set of five finger puppets, four legs and one head, that's, yes, exactly one hand high, huh? you can get ad-free versions of this show and bonus episodes that are sure to provide lively entertainment for you and your loved ones, but sadly, won't whinny and neigh all over your desk while you're waiting for that Zoom meeting to start. For more info on the membership, check out mythpodcast.com slash membership. The creature this week is the Hashihime, from Japanese folklore. You know that phrase, the best revenge is living well? Well, the Hashihime has never heard that phrase, and if you told her, she would both disagree and attack you for your optimism. Maybe. The Hashihime are jealous beings, but the object of their jealousy varies. One version has this particularly salty demon being born when a wife went to a shrine to pray for revenge. Her husband, it seemed, had been Zeusing it up all over the region. The non-malicious Zeusing it up, not the other way. Anyway, she reportedly prayed for seven days for divine justice. And on the morning of the eighth day, a priest stopped by with a message. I don't know how that one went. Hey, uh, so you're the one who wants your husband to die a painful death in any way possible. Yeah, a message just came through for you. You should put your hair into seven loops, place a lit brassiere atop your head, cover your face and body in poisonous cinnabar, and carry a rod of pure iron into the Uji River, where you should stay for 21 days. Huh. Don't see that every day. I can imagine the priest laughing, saying that she could just, you know, I don't know, maybe let it go? Not to minimize her pain, but rubbing poison all over your body putting a lit lamp on your head and sitting in the river for three weeks? Maybe not a healthy way to respond to this problem? No? You want to know where you can pick up poison to rub all over your body? Cool. Well, when you're a demon, don't eat the messenger. So she did all of those things and didn't eat the messenger. And the night before she was to turn into a demon, the husband reportedly woke up with a start. He, I guess, had a feeling that his ex-wife was going to turn into a literal demon and kill him and his lover in their sleep. Really, really specific premonition. But it paid off. He found an Anmyoji, a technical officer in charge of divination, to help with an emergency defense. According to one source, the Animoji made paper dolls of the couple, Karashiros, which the demon saw instead of the husband and his lover. She attacked them 
but the powerful magic repelled her, sending her away with the vow that she would have her revenge. And she does have her revenge. Sometimes. There are different accounts as to what she does with her time, but all agree where she spends her time. Bridges. Especially long ones. One place says that she attacks happy couples who remind her of her past life. Others say that she's jealous for the bridge. If you're crossing a bridge and comment how that new bridge down the river really has it going on, fresh paint, low rot, barnacle game on point, well, you're gonna have a problem. The problem is just general bad luck, but still. This version is a little bit better than the scorned wife one, because this one is nice to you if you're nice to it. Couples and newlyweds still might be better off taking a boat, though. That's not just me. According to tradition, they are. No sense in tempting fate. Or the poison-wearing demon still working through a bad breakup. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is a podcast by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 